Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. So put your hands together and let's welcome Pastor Chris this morning. Well, fantastic. I was just standing down there chomping at the bit. I'm just so excited to be here. And I just want to say, you guys look great. So just take a couple quick seconds, look to your neighbor to your left or right and say, hey, you look good today. I don't think you guys are all that convinced with what, I don't know what's going on with that. But it's, but anyway, it's good to be back uh, today to bring today's message. I'm so blessed to be here. For those who are here in the room, I just want to say welcome, but also those who are watching online, thanks so much for tuning in today. I would encourage you, you see the chat, it's probably there, regardless of the platform that you're watching on. I would encourage you to engage in the chat. It'll be available throughout the service. A lot of the things that uh, the folks here in the room will be able to take advantage of, you can do so online to include your Connect card, giving all those things. So uh, do stay connected with us as we make our way through this message. For those who don't know me, uh, my name is Chris Jones. As Pastor Chris said, I'm the outreach pastor at Coastal. Uh, I've been uh, riding this horse, so to speak, since the beginning of the year. So I'm pretty much brand new at this pastoring thing. But let me tell you, it has been the adventure of a lifetime. God has not disappointed in this opportunity. And I am blessed for the opportunity to be uh, encouraged by great people around me. And it's just been wonderful. And I just want to say how much, and I'm sure you probably share in the same sentiment too, that this is a fantastic church, and we've got a great pastor. And so I'm just blessed to be a part of it, just as you are too. That's right. So we're in week six, as Pastor Chris said, of my favorite sermon series, Summer Reading. And then again, for those who don't know me, I'm a very voracious reader. I like books of all sorts. I like the books that you hold in your hand in print. I also like those books where you can get them on your Kindle and that sort of thing. I'm always reading. It actually drives my poor wife, Kim, nuts because I'm typically reading more than one book at a time. I love all kinds of books, and I'll even read different genres of books. But I have to admit, I'm a huge fan of Bob Goff. In fact, I would dare even say that a lot of folks here at Coastal are fans of Bob Goff. In fact, when the pastors and I were kind of divvying up the book, so to speak, before this sermon series was going to start, I think my brothers kind of laid off of the book Bob Goff because they knew that if I had a choice of all the books, and they were all great books, if I had a choice, it would be this book. So you might be wondering, okay, Chris, so what's the skinny? Why are you such a big fan of Bob Goff and why this book Dream Big? Well, the first thing I like about Bob Goff is his attitude toward his life. He's a huge dreamer. He tells great stories. And if you've read any of his books, he tells the kind of stories that make you wonder, okay, dude, is the stuff that you're telling me even true? Are you just kind of making this up as you go? But I also like, not only is he a great storyteller, but he just loves people. And when I say he loves people, he loves all people. In fact, he even loves and pursues those people who are kind of out on the fringes, you know, the kooky ones that, that we know that are around town, and those who are just a little bit tad different. But I also like the fact that Bob Goff is high energy, and he's excitable, and he's motivated. Listen to what he says in his book as he describes himself. He says this, they call my drink of choice at the local coffee stand, Goffy. It's two shots of energy drink and three shots of espresso. I may die young, but I'll be wide awake when I do. (laughs) So if you're watching online, I would encourage you to just take a moment. Let us know if you have happened to read any of Bob Goff's books. Let us know which one you like the best. And now that you know that I'm a, a, a big reader, perhaps you could leave me a couple of book recommendations in the chat. 
So in keeping with Bob Goff's style, I'm going to kind of get things really going here with a story. And the story goes like this. There's a man and he's a new arrival to heaven. And so he's got a heavenly host and he's being escorted down a long corridor. And this pair travels on for a little while and they reach an intersection in the hallway. And this man who is a new arrival to heaven will pause for a moment in time and he'll look to his left. And then he looks to his right at this intersection. And all that he can see are this endless succession of doors and they're all locked as far as he can see. And when he looks back to his right, all he sees are locked doors as far as his eyes can see. As he stands there with a look of amazement for a moment of time, he notices that his heavenly host has already begun to make his way down the corridor. So he makes haste and tries to catch up. And so the two at that point travel on for a little bit longer. And then they come to yet another intersection. And yes, it's the same thing. The man, to his amazement, looks to his left. He looks to his right. And all that he can see are locked doors. They travel on for a while, a few more intersections, more locked doors as far as this man can see. Finally, the man who is this new arrival to heaven looks at his heavenly host and musters up the courage to ask the question, what is the skinny with all of these locked doors? The heavenly host pauses. He takes a deep breath. He looks the man square in the eyes and says, these are the doors of opportunity that God the Father unlocked while you were alive on earth, but you chose not to walk through them. Church, let me ask you just a few questions today. What is the one thing above all else that you dream about? What is the one thing that if time, money were not an issue, that you dream about doing? Is there something you dreamed about doing for God? Something that would relieve the suffering of someone in the world around you? What is something you've dreamed big about that will leave this world a much better place long after you are gone? I would encourage you to just take a moment right now where you are and write that thing down and maybe even go as far as circling what that thing might be. If you're watching online, I would encourage you to do the exact same thing. But if you're bold enough, maybe even add that thing to the chat. What I want us to do as we write that thing down or we think about it in our minds or we even are brave enough to commit it to the chat is to breathe life into your big dreams by beginning to share it with others. Now, I think a word of caution is in order here. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about big and beautiful houses, expensive cars and trucks, large screen TVs and designer clothing, and this idea of making money, lots of money, and those things that bring a measure of status to our lives. Now, before next week, when you start blowing up my email and sending me the, the crazy text, I want you to know up front that there's inherently nothing wrong with those things. And I, more than anybody, wants everybody who's watching online and here in the room to experience all that God has for them. But I dare that just for a moment in time today that you and I look beyond the stuff that we're all prone to chase after for something that is much, much bigger. Interestingly, my wife recently shared with me a very powerful insight she is a virtuous woman, even though she wouldn't agree that she is, and she has a way of dropping these little tidbits on me from time to time. And this was no exception when she spoke of this idea of a landfill. And as she began to share with me this idea of a landfill, my mind instantly went to the Bees Ferry Landfill. We're familiar with it, right? 
And she shared with me that huge mountain of trash that's out there that's being pushed around by bulldozers and other heavy equipment while the seagulls fly overhead. And she went on to say that that trash heap is nothing more than the past pursuits of people of which she and I are included. You see, we work and we stress and we press for things that ultimately become tomorrow's heap that the dozers at Bees Ferry Landfill will be pushing around and the seagulls will fly over. So as we spend this time together, friends, I challenge us not to consider the stuff that moth and rust will ultimately destroy, but to consider for a moment in time those things that will leave a lasting legacy. And I issue a challenge to dream big, dream big about the things that will positively impact our Lord's kingdom. Friends, it's very likely that when you and I die, just after a few generations, memories of our existence will fade away. However, if we choose today, choose right now to dream big, we have the potential to leave behind something that will live long after you and I are gone. So we're going to get into God's word here in a second. But I always believe a little biblical foundation is always important. It's important that we lay down a little context before we get in the word. And the reason why I believe we should do that is simply this. Something that happened so many thousands of years ago. We need a little bit of context to allow us to tie it into how it applies to our lives here in 2020. And so today we're going to look at a man by the name of Nehemiah. And he's an Israelite leader. And he is leading a third wave of exiled Jews back to Jerusalem. You see, the Israelites have been exiled due to a siege of the Babylonian king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has burned Jerusalem, the entire city, to include the temple, as he's leading that entire nation of Israel out into exile. And later, the Babylonian Empire would fall to an even greater power known as the Persian Empire. And so the land of Israel, in particular the city of Jerusalem, is in ruin and it is in ashes and has been decimated seemingly beyond repair. But yet here's Nehemiah, who's holding a position of authority in the Persian government. He's a cupbearer. For those who don't know what the cupbearer does, he's the guy that's chosen to do the eating and the drinking. He's sort of a guinea pig. And his job is to make sure that what's being presented to the king has not been poisoned. However, he was a very trusted man a trusted figure in the Persian government, and was a close confidant to the king. But one day, Nehemiah is going to inquire as to the progress of things in Jerusalem as the first few waves have made their way back to to Jerusalem after 70 years of Babylonian and Persian captivity. Let's read the word together in Nehemiah 1. It says this, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. We see already that Nehemiah is heartbroken and he's devastated. And he, like most Israelites, they longed for the return of Jerusalem to its, to its glory. He longed for the worship of God and the grandeur of the temple. But friends, it is all gone. Everything is gone. The glory, all gone. There's nothing left there but memories and ashes. And now Nehemiah is faced with these insurmountable odds, hopelessness, and dismay. And in his response, he cries out to God. Let's read a little longer. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. 
Church, Nehemiah chose to dream big, and he remembered God's plan and God's promise. He dared to dream to see Israel return to its rightful place as God's chosen people. He dared to dream to see the return of Jerusalem as God's resting place. He dreamed of a return of Jewish life and culture. And he dreamed and longed for a return to worship in the temple. It goes without saying that Nehemiah chose in this moment to dream big. So how about you? Do you you have a dream? Do you long to see restoration, renovation, and healing, but all you can see are ashes? Is there something you've always wanted to do, but the circumstances of life, whether they be good or bad, have set those dreams up on a shelf and they've collected dust because you haven't visited them in years? Do you long for a broken relationship to be restored? Wounds that seemingly run too far and too deep for reconciliation? Is there a stirring in your spirit today that even as I mention this idea of dreaming big, stirs you up in a way that you haven't been stirred before? Is there something you know that God is calling you to do right here and right now today, but you feel that even though God has called you to it, somehow he will not equip you to do it? Friends, do you dream? More importantly, do you choose to dream big? Or do we just dream those dreams that are possible only through our own strength and abilities? And whether you be watching online or in person, I can't help but think that every single one of us that's here today and those who are watching online have something inside of us, and that is a desire for our lives to matter. There's something in us, a desire to make a difference. There's a a desire inherent in each and every one of us that desires to leave this world a better place than the way we found it. A desire to one day hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Am I right? But perhaps the bigger question is this. What are the chains that have bound your big dreams and have held them hostage? And are you ready for those chains to be broken so that you can not only dream big, but live big for Jesus? Today, we're going to explore the more common chains, chains all too familiar for this ancient leader of Israel. And there are a lot of chains. But we'll look at the ones that Nehemiah faced as he faced the mounting challenge of his beloved Jerusalem as it lie in ruins. And in learning from his example, we may too shed off the feathers and dream the way God wanted us to dream for him. And what do we need to see that Nehemiah saw that hinders our ability to dream big today? I hope you'll take a few notes and I hope if you'll make a few comments if you're watching online. And the first thing I want us to see is this. Fear is the blanket that smothers our fire when we dream big. Fear has a way of stopping us dead in our tracks, doesn't it? Fear is paralyzing. It causes us to fall back to this place of comfort and safety. We may have a dream that's like a fire deep down in our spirit, but fear keeps that God-given dream in a place where it never finds good soil for it to take root and to grow. Make no mistake, friends. Fear is something that is inherent in all of us. It's what we do with fear that determines whether a dream comes to life or becomes a past regret or missed opportunity. Nehemiah faced fear while he dreamed big. While he dreamed big of return of the city of Jerusalem. Let's read in Nehemiah 2. It says this. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. 
You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. It's at this particular moment that we've just read that Nehemiah makes a choice. Does his dream find life or is it killed by fear before it ever gets started? And just like Nehemiah, our big dreams, whatever those big dreams might be, they too hinge on a choice. I love what Bob Goff says about this. Listen to what he says. He says, if you think about it for a moment, most of what we do is motivated either by love or fear. The trick is to figure out which one's doing the talking at any particular moment in time. So who's doing the talking in your dreams and aspirations today? Who, does fear rule the day or does love have the final say? And here's your 10 cent secret for today, friends. And listen to this. Fear only has the power that you allow it to have. Did you hear that? 10 cents. Fear only has the power that you and I allow it to have. Let's read on in Nehemiah 2. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. We just read a moment ago that Nehemiah was terrified. But love trumped fear in his love for the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And he faced his fear as he chose to dream big. And as he did, Nehemiah finds favor with the king. However, I think we have to understand that we cannot expect, friends, to find favor if we're dreaming big but then succumbing to fear. We must say no to fear before we find favor to pursue our big dreams. We've heard it said, the opposite of fear is faith. And when we dream big and pursue God-sized dreams, dreams that will leave this long-lasting legacy after we're gone, we have to ask ourselves this. Is this thing, whatever it is, a dream big enough to take on fear head on? Are we willing to face the fear of rejection? Are we willing to race, uh, face the fear of failure? The fear of what others might think? Or are we willing to trust and see what God can do on our behalf when we renounce fear as an obstacle to our big dreams? See, the Bible teaches us that God be for us, who can stand against us? The second point I want to make is this. If you pursue big dreams, count on opposition. You can bet the farm on it. It goes without saying, we live in a world that is absolutely full of opposition. The Bible teaches us that man's days are few and full of trouble. And even Jesus himself would tell his disciples that in this world, you will have trouble. However, opposition is not an indication that you and I should stop pursuing the God-sized dreams in our lives. In fact, even though Nehemiah had found favor with God and with the king, and even though they had already begun rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and blessed with not only the material to build, but also the labor to, to carry out the construction plans, trouble, as it always does, shows up right on time. Let's read Nehemiah 4. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying it in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? 
Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Anytime, coastal, anytime we choose to dream big, we can count on hell coming with all the force it can muster to disrupt our offense. For the enemy, just being on our backs and floundering around is not good enough. Satan insists on our utter and complete defeat, our dreams being completely shattered, pulverized to the point where we'll never pursue those dreams again, whispering those oh-so-familiar thoughts into our minds over and over again. Perhaps you've heard a few of them. You're not smart enough for that idea. You don't have the financial acumen to take on a feat that big. You won't have anyone rallying behind you. You won't have the support you need to make it work. What you're doing before, I'm afraid has never been done before. What you are doing simply isn't possible. What you dream of doing isn't going to matter in the long run. You see, our enemy works so hard to get into our heads to convince us that the big dream that we want, the dreams that we want to pursue are little more than pipe dreams. And oftentimes the opposition and the barrage of negative thoughts that come our way is enough and our forward momentum is thwarted, and we're defeated, and all we're left with is wounds and regret. And even if that were not enough, if we even refuse to succumb to the noise, to push the noise back, and we continue to pursue our dream, the enemy only steps up his game. Let's read a little more in Nehemiah 4. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. In verse 11, it says, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. See, Nehemiah and his friends, they've, they've faced their fears. They acknowledge that opposition has come, yet they press on with the work to complete the dream of restoring the wall around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, he demonstrates resilience but so does his enemies. So we have to, like Nehemiah, we have to expect opposition. We have to expect a fight. But know this, we do not fight alone. Nehemiah 4 continues on in verse 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated him, we all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. And the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and the other hand holding a weapon. So although the enemy wages war against our dreams and ambitions, as he was with Nehemiah, God is with us as we pursue our big dreams. Again, we remember the Bible teaches us that if God be for us, nothing can stand against us. However, just because God goes with us and he fights for us as we face the oppositions of life, it doesn't automatically relieve our obligation to fight and even sometimes endure the wounds that we'll face as we pursue those big dreams. And just like Nehemiah and the men rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, 
We'll have to keep one hand on the tools that we're using to pursue our big dream and the other hands on our weapons. Allow me to walk it out just a little bit further. In one hand are your tools that you'll use to pursue your big dreams. It could be a spatula for flipping burgers that you're cooking for the homeless out of the North Charleston tailgate on Saturday serve. It could be a computer keyboard that you're using because you, you have a big dream of becoming a well-known writer or a, a software developer or an app developer or an educator or maybe even a business owner. It could be a hammer and nails. It could be a stethoscope, a lawnmower, or even a set of mechanics tools. But in your other hand are the weapons of warfare. You see, Nehemiah and his workers, we just read, they were armed with, with swords, spears, and bows. But listen to this, church. Our weapons, our primary weapons for warfare are the word of God, habitual prayer, and fellowship. And friends, if we aren't engaging in all three of those things, it's like we're trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem ourselves with the enemy right there to our front threatening to attack us with violence, and yet we stand without a weapon in which to defend ourselves. The word of God arms us with the knowledge that we are not alone, guides us precisely how we should live our lives, and serves as a reminder that hell and the opposition to our big dreams has already been defeated. And prayer is a direct line of communication between ourselves and God the Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and our Helper, the Holy Spirit. And when we pray, and we pray regularly, we bring the forces of heaven to bear against the devil and his schemes to leave us and our dreams in ruin. You see, prayer turns our opposition on its head and sends it off in retreat. And let's not forget that like the spiritual weapons of the Word and prayer, Fellowship is equally as important. I hear Pastor Chris talk about it all the time. We need fellowship more than we need in a time like now than we've ever needed it before. You see, we need people who will rally around us as we dream big because the people that are around us help do battle with us. They pray for us and they keep us on track and we keep them motivated and prayed up while they pursue their big dreams. Fellowship is a major weapon against the fight to derail us and what God has called us to do. And I think our life groups are by far the best way for you and I to engage in fellowship here in our church. You can sign up for a life group right now. Groups begin the week of September 20th. And so there's still plenty of time to review the catalog and sign up for a group. There are in-person groups as well as online groups. And you don't have to be a member of Coastal to join one. There are groups for men, groups for women. There are activity groups. There are both book and Bible studies. But we need community now more than ever. So don't find yourself battling life and pursuing your big dream, whatever that dream might be, on your own. Opposition is going to come. Count on it. But know that you have been armed with the spiritual weapons of war. But we have to choose just like Nehemiah and his men, to pick those weapons up and be prepared to use them should the enemy come. And so we've talked about fear is a blanket that smothers our fire when we dream big. And then also we've talked about if you pursue big dreams, you can count on opposition. And the third point is this. People who dream big are not the sum of their failures. I think it's important for us to come to an understanding today because I am absolutely positive that somebody needs to hear it. 
Somebody who is watching online needs to hear this next statement. Somebody in this room needs to hear this next statement. And that is, your identity is not the past mistakes you've made. One more time. Your identity is not the past mistakes you've made. I absolutely love what Bob Bob Goff quotes in his book. He says, our failures don't name us, God does. So if you have Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you have committed your life to him, your old identity has been tossed out and you've been given a new name. And your name, friend, is child of the most high God. That's your name. You are forgiven and you are redeemed. Your past no longer dictates your future. Your past mistakes, your failings, and your shortcomings don't disqualify you. It doesn't disqualify you from pursuing your dreams. It doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. It doesn't limit you, and you can still achieve all that God has for your life. But the greatest thing about Jesus is that he says, you belong to me. But Jesus even takes it a step further. He says, I love you even when you screw it all up. Praise Jesus. Nehemiah 1, we're going to go back to chapter 1. Let's read it together. It says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, your decrees and regulations that you gave us through our servant Moses. Yeah, the people of Israel had messed up. They were disobedient. They were idolaters, worshiped a whole bunch of other gods. They were murderers. And God had warned them over and over and over again. And when they chose not to corporately repent, he punished them, nearly wiping the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel off the map and sending an entire nation of people into exile for 70 years. But in spite of all the failures, in spite of the rebellion and disobedience, God wasn't done with Israel, and God was not done with Nehemiah. And here's some great news for you today. He's not done with us either. Let me share something with you. Haven't always been the man that you know today. In fact, it's funny, some of my old army buddies whom I've stayed connected with over the years still poke fun at me for one, coming to faith, and they really ramped things up when they found out I was gonna become a pastor. Why? Well, simply because of the things I said and did in my past. It's surprising to them because they were witnesses to my selfishness, the foulness of my mouth, and my contempt for people. They saw firsthand how far I lived my life from God and how I just took what I wanted by any means necessary. It wasn't until much later in my life and in my career that I gave my life to Jesus. But by then, friends, listen, I felt like I had attained every negative label and committed just about every sin imaginable to the point where I felt there was absolutely no way God was going to use me. I would actually have in my mind and my heart that I'm garbage, I'm wounded, and I have a sketchy and painful, shameful past. But even as God, in spite of my past, chose to use me anyway, I felt the shame, and wanted to suppress my history and hide my mistakes from other people. I went as far as intentionally limiting myself as to how involved I became in ministry once God called me to serve him. I didn't want anyone to know about the old me. But I want you to listen to how God ministered to me 
and how he desires to minister to you today. He would say something like this. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, you bear the scars of your past. But in spite of the past, in spite of the mistakes, these are not your identity. You see, God's kingdom needs someone who is just like you, who bears the scars of battle, as opposed to someone who has no wounds because they've never been in a fight. The pain of defeat, the shame, and the brokenness are all useful to God in spite of what the world might lead us to believe. Why? Because there are people who are going to be coming behind us who will find hope for themselves because they will know someone personally who's been in the battle and has prevailed. People will find hope in someone like you and someone like me who has screwed up, but God, glory to him, has chosen to use us anyway. Friends, your past mistakes and your failures have been forgiven. They are not your name. Your name is redeemed. And not only have you been redeemed, but Jesus will take all those past hiccups and use them for your good and for his glory. Friends, don't let fear snub out the fire when you dream big. And when you pursue big dreams, count on opposition. And remember, you are not the sum of your failures. So church, we've come full circle. I wanna ask you again, do you dream big? What is the thing you know you've been called to do? Have you settled for where you are, as good or bad as that might seem? Are we okay with one day being our final day on earth and looking back on it with regret? Are we okay with passing corridors after corridors of locked doors in heaven, they all representing the God-given but missed opportunities that we have in this life? And are we okay with where we are right now and that being our forever legacy? Nearly four years ago, my wife and I were first-time guests here at Coastal. And I remember it so clearly because we sat on my right, your left, the second to the last row. We had recently left our church feeling led by God to leave behind ministry and friends for what we believed were the next steps in ministry for us. We came to Coastal. We knew no one. We had no friends. Being what Kim and I became a label as painfully obedient to the Lord. And I remember during that first service back there in the corner, whispering to Kim, I'd love it if God would give me an opportunity to preach up on this platform one day. I had no idea, I had no way of knowing back then all that God was going to allow me to do. I could have succumbed to fear, I could have succumbed to opposition and avoided what God wanted to do in my life because of my choice to allow my past to be my permanent identity. But God chose not only to hear the utterance of a passing thought about preaching here on this platform to do so much more. God chose to move a first-time guest in the back corner of the room to become a full-time pastor. So why do I share that with you? I simply offer it to you, whether you're in the room or online, as a testimony. That with God, friends, all things are possible. Here's an interesting closing. Nehemiah was no priest. Nehemiah was no prophet or king. He held a secular job in the Persian government. And God impressed upon him an opportunity to dream big. And the rest, they say, is history. Church, when God places a big dream on your heart, remember this. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege, Lord, of just being in fellowship with this people. Lord, I pray that, Father, that 
your hand of grace, your hand of mercy, your hand of peace would be with those, Lord, who are in the room and those who are watching online. But Father, Lord, I pray more than anything, Lord, that anyone, Lord, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, whether it be online or in the room, I pray that they would just simply pray a prayer like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've tried to do things on my own. I've tried all the other ways, Lord, and I've failed. Lord, I want to pursue, Lord, the big dreams that were talked about in the message today. I want to live for something, Lord, that is greater than myself. Father, I pray that you would receive me, Lord, and forgive me of everything that I've done wrong, Father, in my life. I've heard it said, Lord, that I am not the sum of my past failures and mistakes. But by giving my life to you and the work that you did upon the cross, I can have eternal life. And so I receive that today. And Father, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer. Whether it be those who have not known you or even those who have drifted away. I pray that, Lord, you would renew something new in them today. Create something new. And help them, Lord, to walk and to talk and to live out, Lord, the purpose and the plan that you have for their lives. And Father, Lord, I pray for this, this idea of dreaming big, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the example that we find in the life of Nehemiah and his, Lord, obedience to you and his insistence, Lord, of keeping his eyes upon you as he pursued, Father, Lord, the things that you called him to do. Father, I pray that our church and our people, Lord, will keep our eyes upon you. I pray that if anyone were bold enough to share it in the chat, I pray that if anyone were, had taken the time, Lord, to write their big dream down, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would breathe life into it. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into the lives of these people, Lord, who have dreams upon their hearts to do something great and glorious for you. And I pray, Lord, it would come to full fruition. And Lord, I pray, Father Lord, for our pastors. I pray, Lord, for the staff. And I pray, Lord, for the people who call Coastal home. Lord, may we be the church that is the city on the hill. Lord, may we, Coastal, be the church that is the salt of the earth. And church that is the light of the world. Continue to bless us, Lord, as you always do. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we honor you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.